Ajay, can you uh, ask Oliver your question? So uh, in Platoon, the unit is divided to two groups, one that seemed cooler and was integrated, and one that was made up of white, pretty, conserv pretty conservative guys. Was it really like that? Was it really like that then? And what experiences in Vietnam led you to pick led you to depict the black soldiers in Vietnam more favorably than the white soldiers on the whole? Yeah, well, it's, it's what I saw. Uh, I only went off my own experience because as I said in the memoir, I didn't have any experience uh, with black people before I went over. And I was thrown into the middle of it with these platoons and in basic training too. So, you know, it was quite a large chunk maybe 30% in the combat units which is not proportionate to the population ratio, but uh, they were, and most of them were, had a lot to do with keeping me human, uh, which is important in war. You get very, it's very boring, it's very callous, and you become, you easily could become racist in Vietnam against the Asian, uh, the Asian villagers and so forth and so on, because many American people felt they were fighting against us, which was not necessarily true. They were fighting to survive. Uh, I was very, uh, very, I could relax with the, uh, the, the black soldiers, like the music, the dope, the dope, the music, the laughter, the humor, the humor is very good. And it was, I get away from the world that was too hard for me. It was, uh, and I described it, I think in better detail than I am now in the memoir, but, I was very felt. Um, it just happened that way. That's not to say there were some badasses who gave me a hard time too, uh, who were black, but uh, some of them were sergeants and they had positions of authority. But generally speaking, across the board, they were more human, which is very important to your survival, spiritual survival. Okay, um, thanks. Thank you. Um, I think that this is a, an appropriate question to ask uh, in this setting. So George School is a Quaker school, and part of the Quaker tradition is the idea that there's this divine light and that all people have a spark of divine light within them, so to speak, and that we should strive to, to quote, mind the light. So why did you title your memoir Chasing the Light, and what does the light mean to you? Well, on the first primary level, light is what you need to shoot film. In those days, you had to have a minimum of light. And uh, that was often a problem with film school because we didn't have a lot of money at all. Uh, we were improvis improvisational crews and we were shooting often in winter light in New York City, which would drop around four o'clock, 4.30. So you run out of time. So that, the idea is that you're always, when you're making a movie where you have a lot of outdoor work, most films have maybe 50, 40, 50% outdoors, you have to you have to move in a certain pattern from the beginning of the day to the end to make the day. Otherwise you get into over budget. And that's happened to me on the big films as well as the small films. So you have to make your day. And that was what I was trying to use that as the idea that you're always rushed and you're always under pressure. And of course it leads to a wider implication that uh, throughout your whole life, yeah, you're, you're looking for a way to reveal, to explore, to be honest. Thank you. Um, you have a question? You are most well known for making dramatic films, but have switched mostly to documentaries in recent years. Is this because of financing or because you feel that documentaries allow you to get straight to the points you want to convey? 
Yes, I think that's pretty much sums it up. It gets cut to the truth. My first uh, documentary was in 2000, uh, 2002, I think it was released, Commandante. And of course, that had a very spotty history. That was controversial and banned. It was taken off the air two weeks before it was going to run by HBO uh, because of a Cuban, the right-wing Cubans protested it after they saw it at the Sundance Festival. So it was an ugly beginning. My documentary career is probably unknown <laughs> by most people in the United States because most of those films don't make it to the mainstream, but I keep making them because I believe in them. South of the Border was a rocky, rocky reception. Uh, it was tough because they didn't, they didn't want to believe in the, the movement uh, the left-wing movement in South America at the time, which was quite extensive. Seven, eight people were presidents of their countries. There were some great reforms. And then the United States really clamped down on South America, especially in these last years. And since the movie came out, actually, they've been working at it over time, CIA and all, to get rid of all these regimes. And they succeeded partially, not completely. Now there's been a swing more to back to the left uh, in several countries. So I'm, we're hopeful the reform movement can still exist in South America. Of course, Chavez has a huge amount to do with that and they never got him. They may have killed him, we don't know, but uh, they never destroyed that regime. Although it's gotten some rocky, it's been through some rocky places for, it certainly still exists and the people want these changes, the people of Venezuela. And they keep telling us, of course, in our establishment press that people are, are starving, dying, all that stuff. You have, this is where you have to practice your own sense of judgment and degree. Yes, they're having a hard time because there's a huge embargo. A lot of people are dying because of medicines and food, not food so much as medicine. Uh, Aaron Maté and his partner at the Gray Zone have done some very good work. Max Blumenthal has gone down to Venezuela, spent time, and Anya Pamparil, have gone down to Venezuela and spent time in the backcountry with people for an accurate report of what's really going on there. Do not believe the establishment press on Venezuela or on Cuba or on pretty much everything. Uh, where, they, where, they, where they have an enemy they want to get rid of, they're, they're vicious and they go after them constantly. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.